Hello and welcome to A Pinch of Magic podcast with me, Rebecca Renewin. I am delighted today to be joined by Dee Norman just before the release of her current book, Burn a Black Candle. So hi Dee, thank you for joining us today. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I have read your book and I found myself nodding at so many parts. I'm like, yes, this is how I think of magic too. And yes, I, I agree with, you know, that's the way that I do the magic too. So I think there'll be a lot of nodding, but oh, also <laughs> there was quite a bit of, of some of the books. I was like, oh, that's quite new to me. So I'd love to dive into that too. But first of all, talk to me. I've asked this a few times and it's like one of my favorite questions to ask people. So share with us your definition of magic. Ooh, okay. So I know I wrote something, I hopefully very clever uh, in the book that was nice and succinct about <laughs> what I thought magic was. And I, I probably won't be able to do it justice verbally, which is kind of sad. Uh, but to me, magic is using your intent, your will to make changes in the world through means that aren't visibly readily apparent. Mm. So, you know, uh, there's all kinds of, you know, Alistair Crowley said change in conformity with will. That's been played upon a whole lot. Um, you know, some people say, well, walking across the room and opening a, a door then is magic. If I will the door to be open and then I physically open it, that's change in conformity with my will. So you can be super broad. I like to narrow it down to say, you know, affecting change in creating what you desire, but doing it through invisible means or through mm. inexplicable means. Um, and so we have all different tools and techniques we can use to create those means, um, depending on what type of magic you want to do. And how would you define your version of magic? I know in a minute, actually, I should probably get you to explain burn a black candle and why burn a black candle. But you describe it very much as like a kind of like folk magic. So talk to us about your type of magic and weave in there why your book is called Burn a Black Candle. Okay, so my type of magic, can I, my type of magic is all kinds of magic because I've had a very checkered past with magic. Um, <laughs> sounds that sounds much, much more dramatic than it probably is. Um, it starts with, you know, when I was very young, watching my mother and grandmother do things that they wouldn't even call magic. They don't mm. call it magic. It's just what you do um, to help run the household and keep people safe and keep good luck and all of these things. But by the time I hit about 11, 12 years old, I asked for a deck of tarot cards. And I got a deck of tarot cards on St. Christopher's or St. Nicholas night. Actually, St. Nicholas came and left me tarot cards in my shoe, which is very strange. <laughs> very traditional, it. yes. Yes. And um, that opened up a world for me around the age of 11 to ceremonial magic, ritual magic, mm. formal versions of magic, which I latched onto when I was younger and studied vociferously throughout my life. So I have a deep love of practical magic but I also have a deep love of grimoire magic. I have a mm. deep love of ceremonial and ritual magic. I love it all. Absolutely great. But what I find myself doing in all most of my day-to-day -day practice, now that I have gotten a little bit older, is this very simple yet powerful moving practical magic. And a lot of it does center around my home and household. And I've come to this realization that these techniques that were brought to me through my family's practices 
have the most impact on me magically and what I do as a magician, witch, however you want to define Mm it. And black candles are the go-to tool for protection in my family. Um, So anytime you felt the littlest bit strange, the littlest bit odd, maybe you might have a little bit of the evil eye, maybe you're having a down day or anything. The first thing was, well, have you burned a black candle? Go home and burn a black candle because it was kind of this panacea that would fix everything. So that's how the the title came about. I love that. What? So going back to what you were just saying about that, you know, you dive deep into lots of different types of magic, and now you find yourself doing like more of like a home based everyday magic, like a much more what I would consider practical magic. Do you think that you 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 said something about? You do that practical magic and, you know, it, it feels powerful to you to do some of the simple things. Do you think that that comes from the simplicity and brings the power? Do you think it comes from not wanting to age you, but maybe a decade or so from when you were you know, 11 um, of really feeling into that and like grounding yourself in that magic? Or do you think when you do the things that your family, your you know, your ancestors have done, you're drawing in all of that power from all of the times that people have added. Every every time someone lights up black candle, you're adding a little bit more magic to it and so on and so on and so on. Where do you think the power and the simplicity comes from? Oh, that's an interesting question, um, particularly because I, I talk to people a lot about tools and techniques mm-hmm. and that if a tool or technique doesn't work for you, doesn't give you that sense of power. And if it's a distraction, then you ditch it, you get rid of it, because why work against, why have something work against you? Um, So partially, I think it's that last thing that you mentioned that when I light a black candle, Mm. I, my grandmother's lighting that candle, my mother's lighting that, my great grandmother, aunts, you know, various people throughout my family and throughout time, not just that I'm related to, have lit that black candle for a similar reason or used that bay leaf for a similar reason. And I think that has a lot to do with um, the perceived strength for me, Mm -hmm. for sure. But I also do think that when you start working magic, you try out different techniques and methods. And then if you pay attention you will find the things that just click and feel comfortable and feel powerful for you. And what clicks and feels comfortable and feels powerful for one person is going to not feel that way for another person. And so I think some of these things are just, I'm a pretty simple person in general. And so I, I, my tools are simple. Um, I, I'm kind of impatient with things and I don't want to spend 20, 30 minutes, an hour setting up an elaborate ritual, um, unless it's a special occasion and maybe I'm feeling extra and want to do that. Instead, <laughs> I want to grab the things around me and accomplish what I want to accomplish and then move on with my life. So um, I think it's a combination of both. It's that desire for immediate, immediacy mm-hmm. and expediency. But then it's also, um, these are the things that over time I have felt that connection with and realized, hey, these are the techniques that really resonate with me and work with how my mind works and how my soul works and all of that. And I think that's really important. I often feel torn between that 
because when when I find people come to me and they want a like let's call it a solution for something they want some magic for something I am one of those really annoying people that's like mm-hmm. so what works for you then <laughs> you know rather than being prescriptive and going oh you need x y and z which actually I sometimes wonder if I'm being a bit unfair because when you're starting out or when it's new it's nice to have that you know, that do A, do B, do C, because it makes you feel very, very safe. You have a container that's tried and tested. And I'm all for that. I'm like, you know, traditionally this could be used, but if it doesn't work, find your own way of making it work. And in fact, in my, I've just, um, my book is nearly finished. Um, and all the way through it, I'm like, all oh, what works for you, all what works for you, <laughs> you know, because I think that's the power of the magic, isn't it? It's like, it is an experiential thing. It's not, you know, we can intellectualize it as much as we want. We can take all those pieces apart, but really magic, well, not only works, but mostly works and works consistently if it's something that we can show up to and do consistently. So why the high magic and all of the things under the right moon with the right weather, with the right constellations is incredibly wonderful and exciting to be part of. I would usually forget or miss the moon phase or like, oh no, I haven't got my whatever it is I needed. So I think there's great merit in having, like trusting the practicalities too. Because I think, Yes. You know, obviously, I live in the UK. Europe has a very rich history of that kind of, whether you call it folk magic, whether you'd call it kitchen magic, whether you would, call, you know, whatever you'd want to call it, but of like really working with what you have, whether it's the land or, well, I mean, every culture has their own. But obviously, I speak as someone who grew up <laughs> immersed in all of this in my own land, and I just I think it's lovely. As I read more something, you're like, oh yeah, just chucking salt under the mat you know, the front doorstep to keep away that negative energy. It's one of my favourite things to do. We're banging on about salt. And the reason (laughs) I love it, everyone has it in their cupboard anyway. So it's like, let's use what we have. Um, So why in your culture, because it's an Italian heritage, isn't it, that you have, is like that protection piece so important, do you think? I think that the reason why it is so important is um, because of the concept of Malocchio or the evil eye that is pervasive and prevalent um, throughout Italian American culture. Mm -hmm. And it is this gateway into all of these different protective practices and um, ways to diagnose if you have any disruptive influences on you and everything comes back again and again and again to the concept of the evil eye. And I think that so for that's people that why... might not be familiar with the evil eye, what what in your I don't know belief or culture would be the evil eye and what would people look out for to know that they were unduly influenced by another? <laughs> oh, good questions. Okay. So the, first of all, the evil eye, the, the, the complex of beliefs that surround it is very, very old back to mm. about 5,000 years ago. Um, and so it is one of the oldest practices that we still have a magical window into and it has it's practiced by many many different cultures each with their own little twist and in italian american culture uh the evil eye um, is a negative influence that can be cast upon you by someone looking at you with envy or jealousy or someone speaking insincerely to you. So someone may say, well, that's a gorgeous blouse. But if they're thinking, like, she looks 
terrible in that blouse. I'd look better in that blouse, even worse. That there is actually an influence that comes Mm -hmm. out of the eyes and that can mess you up, can cause you all kinds of issues, headaches, stomach issues. Um, It can cause things around you to go missing, get lost, get broken. Um, And then there's even a particular one in Italian-American belief um, that suspends things. So you get the evil eye and suddenly all your important appointments get canceled or Mm. everything gets delayed or your package you've been waiting for gets misdelivered and you've got to wait an extra week for it to come. So in this tradition, it's, it's basically this idea that um, this negative influence can come from someone sometimes not even not most of the time, not intentionally, Mm -hmm. people aren't doing it on purpose. And so it's not like, Oh, someone's casting negativity against me. It's like, no, they had a straight thought. And that stray thought has eventuated this issue. It's stuck on you. Yeah. It's like, and and it's, yeah, it's basically clinging to you and it's causing issues. So um, that's kind of what so we think. Of. How were you introduced to the idea of the evil eye? Because like, uh, I'm assuming, it, you know, when you were quite young. So how does that come about in like your, your family round the dinner table chat? <laughs> Whispers in the background. <laughs> Okay. So we have in our family, um, well, first of all, in my family, the practitioners are women. Now, I know in the past, that's not been the case. And women and men have practiced in my family. But by the time I came around, my mother and grandmother Mm. were the practitioners, the men were not. So it became this thing that women discussed over on the sidelines and kind of monitored and talked about and, and was kind of chuckled at by the men in the family. Um, until they until they, yes, yeah. <laughs> you read my mind, <laughs> you saw it, you, you knew. <laughs> so, um, you know, when I, you know, maybe I was little, maybe I came to mom and said, Oh, mom, my head feels bad, you know, mm. I'm heavy. And, you know, mom may give me a juice and tell me to go lay down. But then I hear her whispering to grandma about, oh, it must be the eyes. She's probably overlooked Um, because overlooked is another term that my family uses. And children are particularly susceptible to the evil eye. Anybody in a kind of border state, nursing mothers, infants, children, people about to get married, any of that. Um, You know, and as a kid, you just kind of let that sit in the back of your head. But then as you get older, you're like overlooked. What are you talking about? And so um, all of the detailed information I've received from my mother and grandmother, I had to pursue because they didn't really want to tell me. It was, oh, you kids, you modern kids don't need to know this. And I'm like, no, no, I really do need to know it. I want to know it. That's interesting. Why would they think a modern person when we have access to so many eyes on us, (laughs) you know, many millions that we may not even meet why would they why would they keeping that to themselves do you think i think it is the uh process of mainstreaming that immigrant families go through oh Um, okay is you know the the fact that hey you know we're making our way in the new world and Mm. you know it's not that new because we've been here for a few generations now but (laughs) you know we want our children to mainstream yeah and (laughs) And I mean, my brother and I weren't taught Italian. We don't speak Italian or Neapolitan, which is really what what my family speaks. We weren't taught it because they didn't want us to learn it. They wanted us to speak English. They wanted us to be part of mainstream culture. Yeah. 
and I think that goes that way with um with with magical practices too and part of it is approving I had to really prove that I was interested um but I think also part of it was you know this is old-fashioned and and you kids don't need this um but I was fascinated with it from the very beginning so they were kind of doomed I haunted them with questions and thank goodness you did but why (laughs) would they think you wouldn't need it did they think the world had suddenly changed and everyone looked with love hearts coming out of their eyes <laughs> or did, or were they just thinking we don't want you to be othered? That exactly. Yeah, exactly. They, they wanted me to blend in. Um, and I suppose while they're alive, they could still be doing the magic in the background for you. Yes. And, and I did get pieces of information like, mm. oh, you know, as I got older, 20s, 30s, living on my own, then I started to at least get the advice. Oh, you don't mm. feel good. Why don't you burn a black candle? You know, why don't you take a candle home? Here's a black candle. Go burn it. But not a lot of the why, what's going on, what this means, how it can be resolved. It was more just like a very mechanical, functional thing. Here, you take this candle from mom and you go home and you burn it and you'll feel better. Do you think, and maybe you know this if you've had the conversations, that your your mom, your grandparents, or your grandma rather, do you think they would recognize what they did as magic? At one point, no. Mm. Mo- but then I came along. Yeah. And when I went off to college, I studied folklore and was obsessed with studying, um, you know, supernatural folklore, mm. esoteric, magical folklore. And I started going, oh, hey, I can start participant observing and, and studying my family and what they do. <laughs> Just watching them going. Hmm. <laughs> and, and it's so funny because I have stood next to my mother doing a candle spell to help my brother get a job. And I say, see, we're doing magic. And my mother looks me dead in the eye and goes, oh, not like that stuff you do. You, you are the magician. You do the magic, meaning ceremonial ritual magic, yeah. stuff like that. And I'm like, no, no, this counts. Oh no, this doesn't count. This isn't. So it's, if held to it today, my mother might say yes. Yeah. But she would be very reluctant um, because it just it, when it's part of the when it's the water you swim in, it's really hard to isolate mm. and identify. Yeah. The reason I asked you that is like I know some people, well, in this particular person I'm thinking about in Ireland and they put the milk out on a particular day of the year for the fairies, but they don't believe in fairies. It's just something they do. <laughs> you know, and it's like, hmm. and t- today it might look like superstition from the outside, but actually there's a long heritage of magic, the, what we would call magic associated with that. But it, like you say, oh no, it's just what we do. Oh, we're, we're just lighting a candle or we're just doing this to like, pave the way for this good intention to happen. And it's like, hmm, that's how I would define magic, creating change. <laughs> so yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it? In a lot of the the folk practices and in the families that practice magic, magic is what those other people do. Mm. It's very much other. We're doing Catholicism. As far as yeah. mom and Graham's concerned, we're Catholics. We're good Catholics. We're doing Catholicism. <laughs> right? No, people can't see me making the shocked face because we do a lot of really <laughs> weird Catholicism in, in this household. 
Um, but, and, and magic was that thing for the other. Mm. Yeah. So the evil eye is there. Appointments are being missed. You've stubbed your toe three times and broken your cup of tea that morning, dropped your cup of tea <laughs> on the floor this morning. We're going, okay, I think the evil eye is upon me. Something nefarious is going on now. What is your next steps dealing with that? Apart from obviously getting the black candle out. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, there are specific traditional practices that you can use in order to determine if you have the mm. evil eye. There are specific traditional cures for the evil eye. Um, but what I will say is that any time, any practice you have that youth knows works to cleanse yourself, to bless yourself, to remove negative influences from yourself, those will work 99.9% of the time. They're going to work um, because you understand them, you know how they function, and you can do them for yourself. So, you know, I tell people like, if I think it's an evil eye thing, and I, I think I'm catching it early, I don't even do divination on it. I just light the black candle or I go take a cleansing bath or, mm -hmm. you know, what have you and just let it go. Um, and, and a lot of times what I do when I let it go is that I pray and um, I wish for whoever sent it to receive luck, blessings, solace, peace. Um, because there's also this concept and I don't even think I wrote about it in the book, which uh, bad on me. Uh, but there is this concept that the person who's sending it isn't really sending it. It's a negative entity or influence that's kind of sending it on their behalf. So mm -hmm. they're already having an issue. They see you, you're doing well, and then they get preyed upon by a negative influence that sends this further negative influence yeah. to you. So, you know, cleanse yourself, say a quick prayer or ask the universe to help out the whoever may have sent it. And nine times out of 10, it's gone. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, there's that simplicity and that practicality there where I could break out the Lenormand cards or the tarot cards and sit down and do a full reading and isolate who sent it and who did it. But well, I just, just get it gone. Get rid of it. You the know? nice thing is, I think, simple gets done, doesn't it? If, yes. if, if it's a choice between finding the time to get all the cards out and do the big spread and take all that time and energy, or you like a candle, have a cleansing bath, it's like, oh, well, that's done then, isn't it? There's no waiting for the, mm -hmm. the perfect time or anything. It's like, oh, I can light a candle while I'm making dinner. It's just like, it's just something that can just be done. I love yeah. that. It's See, like I'm often, sorry, go on. Oh, I was going to say, I write in the book, you know, about how to do a traditional diagnosis and cleansing with water and with olive oil. Um, and that's something that doesn't, the how-to for that doesn't get written down a lot. Um, mm. Because um, there's one strain of belief is that, that that needs to be handed down person to person on Christmas Eve at midnight and all of this other stuff. It's very, very specific. But in my family, it's just like mom and grams tell you sitting around the table how to do this. Um, and, and the interesting thing about that particular diagnosis and cure is that you can scry using the oil droplets to see if it's coming from more than one source, mm. male or female, or all these other things, which 
can be interesting and informative if you're really suffering, if it's a severe case. But I rarely have to go so far as to say, okay, I'm getting out the white bowl and the water and the olive oil and the scissors, and I'm going to sit down and do this. It's, it's usually much more, it doesn't require that much effort, I guess. I would and say. that person doesn't really need that much attention. Because like right. you said, it's usually <laughs> about them and not really about you. You just happen to be in, you know, just happen to have air quotes caught it <laughs> as right. you were walking past them or something. And it's like, they don't really even deserve that much of your energy, really, if you can just click and, and have it gone that fast. Mm. So, yes, you, in your book, you do talk about how to, di- how to diagnose it, how to cure it and how to ward away, which I love. And one of the things I really love about your book is it's so full of like exercises and practical tips and tools, which brings me back to, like you said, some people in your tradition are like, oh, it has to be on Christmas Eve on, you know, when the stars are at this angle and, you know, all those things. But how did you um, like reconcile that for you to share those traditions that maybe have been passed down like in a more traditional manner for you to write the book and (laughs) did you show your mum and your grandma and to say this is what I'm doing how do you feel about that well all of this kind of came about uh after the birth of my daughter Mm. because I realized I had this heap of knowledge and information that I really wanted her to have, and I really wanted it to be available for her. And as I started um, brainstorming in the very beginning and, and writing down topics that I would want to include, I wrote them down and I looked at my partner and I said, I don't know if there's enough here for a book. And he's like, I bet if you sit with it long enough, there will be enough there for a book it's and a I'm like okay substantial size book too <laughs> <laughs> so yes there was most definitely been proven to be enough <laughs> yes he was right <laughs> I tell him often that he was right but um you know I I thought about it a lot but my ancestors came to me regularly mm. during the writing of the book and it began to seem like a group effort in a way um Throughout my life, I have sat down with my mother and grandmother. I have talked to them. I have taken notes about what they've said. I take lots of notes. Some of them I could not find. And then they would show up at just the right time. Literally fell at my feet at one point. I pulled something out of a (laughs) filing cabinet and it just fell and hit the floor. And I'm like, oh, there are those notes I've been looking at, looking for, for two months. Um, So I felt as though I kind of had the thumbs up from my ancestry. Mm to do it. And um, when I, my grandmother's passed, unfortunately, she has, she passed away um, a few years ago. But when I told my mother, um, you know, she, she just kind of laughed and she said, Oh, you're doing what? She said, I can't wait to buy the first copy. Oh, so, that's a, yeah. But she has not seen any of the text. She hasn't read any of it. She is waiting until it comes out. Oh, wow. So, how do you think she'll receive the book? Um, I think she'll enjoy it. I yeah. really do. I think that her reading it, <clears throat> she gets to see a little bit of how childhood was through my eyes. Mm-hmm. She gets to see a version of her from the outside, like what I thought mom was like. <laughs> uh, and, and then she gets to some of those events and experiences I talk throughout. 
mm-hmm. she'll get to kind of reminisce on and relive, you know, through my experiences. So I'm hoping, I'm thinking that she's going to enjoy it. Are you excited or nervous for her to read it? Yes. Both. <laughs> I'll take excited and nervous, Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So talk to me then about identifying those traditions because like you say it was just like something that was done a little bit in hushed tones and then a little bit held back as you air quotes integrated into American society um so how did you go about calling on that tradition and how would you recommend people that might be like oh actually yeah I, I recognize that in my own family actually from whatever tradition they come from and they're like Oh yeah, I have noticed. I mean, I grew up in a very what I would call superstitious household. You know, we're mm-hmm. never allowed to put shoes on the table. No cross knives. If someone gave you a purse, it'd have to have. So if you gave a purse, it'd have to have silver in it. Cross the baby's palm with silver. No crossing on, on. No crossing on the stairs. No walking under ladders. You know, and some of those you can see as magic, like crossing a baby's palm with silver to make sure mm-hmm. that they forever have things. Other things, uh, common sense. I don't want to walk under a ladder in case something lands on my head. And other things like, oh, no shoes on a table. That didn't really make sense to me. Um, (laughs) But my mum was like the most superstitious person ever. And sometimes I'd do things like try and cross her on the stairs just to have the hilarity of her having to walk all the way back down the stairs because she wouldn't like cross (laughs) on that last top step. Um, But how would you, how did you go about your process of like finding that magical heritage? And what clues or signposts would you recommend other people look for within their own heritage? It is so difficult. And, um, you know, when, when you study folklore, you get instructed a lot about interviewing techniques. Um, but one thing that they don't really tell you is that when you're talking to your family members, like the, the worst thing you can possibly say is, so do we practice magic? Is that a thing for the family? Uh, because it shuts everybody right down. They're like, what are you talking about? Get out of here. Um, so, uh, it takes some, you have to kind of separate yourself from your family practices. You have to turn an eye inward and start to look critically at what your family does at certain times of the year. I would say pay attention to times like holidays, times of transition, like weddings, funerals, um, birthdays, even, um, you know, there, there are times of the year where you're more likely to run across something. And then you can couch your questions in a way where you will get a better response, like a how questions, like, how did grandma protect the house from storms? Mm. How how did grandpa make sure he had money to pay rent every month? Um, you know, the the and then that is what when you're talking to people really starts to open doors. Um, and if you go outside of your family, it's always good to share your practices that your family, your family does to let them know that you're coming from the same perspective Um, because people are hesitant to talk about these things from like outside of the family unit because they don't want to look silly to people who don't believe in these things. Yeah. I even had an example of that happen today. It's like, I have a new puppy. I say new, he's like four months old now and we have a dog trainer. I've not had a dog for a very long time. So I'm having a dog trainer because I want a responsibly behaved dog. And um, we were just chatting today and she just went, oh yeah, I had my first set of tarot cards when I was 11. 
And I was like, where did this conversation come from? And she's like, I think you're into that as well, aren't you, Rebecca? She goes, I suspect you are. And then we just had this huge conversation. He was like my Aww. dog trainer. Um, and I was like, not at all. I wouldn't have looked at her and went, oh, she's a tarot reader. She is. you know. And it's just, yeah, we've worked with her for a few months now. She obviously felt safe around me. So she broached the subject. Obviously, I was looking highly suspicious as someone that she could talk to about that. <laughs> And it's and it was just like oh yeah and we had this like great conversation about oh what's your favorite tarot deck and you know had opened up that whole conversation but you're right it wasn't like on the first meet hi I'm Rebecca I'm a witch you know <laughs> come to my house you'll notice but um it's not that first conversation <laughs> and even my sister who's not into this kind of thing at all and she was like. I can't believe how many of my friends are, Rebecca. I went to my best friend's house the other day and it's full of crystals. It's like going to your place. <laughs> and she's shocked that, you know, she's a couple of years younger than me. So she's like early 40s. And she's like, I can't believe how many of my friends are into this. And it, and it is, isn't it? It's like once you open the door, people will come and be like, oh, yeah, me too. Or oh, actually, yeah, we do this traditional. Oh, look at all my black candles. I've got a whole stack of them if you ever run out. <laughs> you know, and it's suddenly that those hushed whispers become a bigger community. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that's really lovely. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny, too, because, again, growing up in my household, my brother, when he when I told him what I was writing, he's like, what are you writing about? I'm like, I'm writing about all the magic mom and grandma did. And he's like, so that's like, what, two things? Okay. <laughs> Completely different experience because he wasn't in the in-group of being a female descendant. And it was all what the female descendants were doing. And so it's important to recognize that too when you're turning that eye on either your family or another family that there may be different experiences (laughs) growing up depending on, you know, daughter, son, older, younger. There there are these divisions about how information gets transmitted from person to person. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of cases, again, it takes that reassurance to the person that you're asking that this is something that you are seriously interested in from a practitioner's perspective, not even from an academic perspective or anything like yeah. that, but from a practitioner's perspective. And I, I think something you mentioned earlier, it's like you're asking that, oh, how did they protect the house or how did they pay rent? It's like that genuine curiosity will open mm, yeah. far more doors than like grilling someone. <laughs> what what magic do we have in our house? Oh, what? <laughs> oh, no, no, not here. <laughs> Keep moving. But yeah, but when you come from that genuine curiosity, I think people are, you know, it's just like that, that energy of openness, isn't it? And it's like you mm-hmm. can bring more of that in. So obviously you've written a book about magic. How does that translate into your everyday life? Like living in a magical household, weaving, regular magic. What does that look like for you? And what are your favorite things you love to do? Oh, let's see. Of course, one of the favorite things that I absolutely love to do is maintain a household altar. Um, Mm. It is something that my mother and grandmother did in different ways. They would never call them altars. They're totally altars. Um, most I love that, are, isn't it? It's like, oh, no, that's not an altar. It's like, mm, okay, you've got all the things that are important to you, pictures of, you know, X, Y, and Z, maybe a statue of something important to you too. But no, of course, it's not an altar. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so, I'm like, really, really? At one point I was taking a picture of it to send to a friend of my mother's that's in her kitchen. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm taking a picture of your altar. And she's like, that's not an altar. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> taking How many sacred space for you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so maintenance of the household altar is a lot of fun. Um, and right oh. now it's what do you, are you open to sharing a little bit about your altar like where in the house is it what kind of objects do you have in it do, do you change it seasonally or is it quite static so it is right in the dining room kitchen area because mm. that's where mom always had hers <laughs> and so it just feels like the heart of the household so that's where the household altar goes um i have multiple altars around the house but mm. the primary household altar has the statues of the saints and other entities that I work with. It has um, candles. It has pictures of ancestors. Um, for a while, it had a picture of my daughter because after my dad passed away, she wanted her picture to be near grandpa's. So I had a picture yeah. of my daughter yeah, yeah. Um, on the ancestor altar and she hung out with them there for a while. Um, and then it has stuff that like my dad ran an arcade when I was a kid. I found an arcade token on the ground the other day. So I put it on the altar near his picture. Um, you know, cool. My grandmother loved cool stones. So find a cool stone, put it in front of a picture of grandma. My yeah. daughter occasionally makes things, decorations. Those go on the altar. And is always in flux. Mm -hmm. I don't do big overhauls often, but it is always in flux and, and evolving and changing with what's going on in the family. Um and then, like right now, front and center, sitting in the center of my altar is a copy of my book. When I got a physical copy of my book, the advanced copy. That was going to be my question. Is that book going with the ancestors and like the, the honoring? And of course it is. Yeah. It, it's like, here it is, you know, mom and dad. And I will try and, and not mom and dad. Mom's still around. But here it is, mm -hmm. dad and, and all you ancestors. And growing up, I love books and I love to read. And my father encouraged and fostered that and all my life told me to write a book that I was mm. meant to be an author. Everything that's significant that has happened in the writing of this book has happened in and around his birthday every year, oh, wow. year, year, October 16th. And so um, putting that book on the altar was like, sorry, I'm going to get teary, but it was like, here, here it is, dad. I did what you asked. I wrote that first book. Um, because I really feel like of all the ancestors, which is funny because dad doesn't come from an Italian background. Mm. He was the one that had my back and that saw me through this entire process. Yeah. But if he did have an Italian background, he probably wouldn't have encouraged you to write because, you know, he would have been like, oh, she's going to be talking about the magic. Let's keep that in the family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, we need, they need that other energy as well, don't we? It's like you have that Italian magic and you have dad bringing in like maybe a bit more of that practical sharing expression magic too. So how, that is beautiful. You mentioned saints and other entities that you work with. I said just before the call, I was like, do you have a favourite? I know we're not allowed <laughs> favourites, but who, but what I'd love to know, so, so many things, obviously, who is your favourite? Who do you like to work with? But also, how, how do you decide what saints and entities to work with? Because I, 
rather flip I have a little bit of a flippant habit I rather flippantly and it, I feel it's true said on one of my podcasts oh and Caradwin claimed me and someone wrote me and said oh Rebecca I'm leaving like all of the the Christian religion that she was in the religion she was involved in because she felt it was very like God says you have to behave like this and you must do this and she said am I just changing that for another goddess that could claim you and say you're not allowed to worship anyone else and I was like oh no 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 that's not what I meant at all when I say claimed she came into my life like a whirlwind and was like hey you're working with me now of course I talk to other gods and goddesses all the time she doesn't get jealous she doesn't smite (laughs) me she doesn't cause mischief because I'm you know off talking to another god or goddess but I was quite flippant in the fact and I but I do mean she did claim me. Suddenly she was everywhere. And it was like, whoa, I'm not sure I actually get too much of a choice in this. Of course I have a choice. I'm a sovereign being. But she came in with such force. I was like, okay, looks like you and I are working together then. So <laughs> how, <laughs> but like I just reiterate for everyone listening, I did have a choice. I could have said no and she would have gone off. But I, you know, it's like, oh, she's made herself known. Do I want to work with her? Yes. So I, jokingly call that like she claimed me um but willingly so but how did your saints come about the ones that you want to work with and what are the other entities that you work with so i'll start with the saints um because there's one saint that i work with primarily and heavily and that's uh saint expedite san expedito um, and he is the patron saint of pra- uh, procrastinators and getting things done quickly. I like to get things done quickly. Um, so he and I get along really, really well. And he came into my life like a like the undeniable whirlwind. Um, I was living in Australia. Mm-hmm. I was with a different partner. He was an Australian and we wanted to move to the States. And um, we kept having to go to Sydney to fill out paperwork and, and prepare to move. And we were trying to get him his green card so that he could, you know, come and work. And <clears throat> and we went to the St. Mary's Cathedral. And on a back table in the cathedral, I saw I found a little stack of St. Expedite cards. And you could have knocked mm. me other. Um, and they were obviously handmade and hand cut out. And so what that meant was someone was publicly thanking him for coming through for them and doing something for them. And I thought, oh, my God. So on the way home, I'm like, well, maybe I need to work with this saint to get things done fast to get our paperwork done. So I burned a red candle when I got home. It's one of his colors. I looked up some more information on him. It was his feast day that day. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. um and we were in the States in less about three months. Wow. Everything is through yeah. light. And when I got to the States, I was like, got to publicly thank St. Expedite. Good thing I do these classes. So I created an entire class on St. Expedite and teach people. And every time I do it, I do it in the name of thanking him for what he does, all the different things he does for me. Yeah. So St. Expedite's a biggie because he came to me in such an explicit way, like right when I needed him. And that happens a lot with saints. Mm. Sometimes one will enter your life right around the time you really need their particular type of help. Um, But if you are, so that's one. I'll also say if you're just starting with the saints, you know, it go look up online, the patron saint at your birthday, what saint has a feast day on your birthday, or what's the patron saint of your town or city or country or state. 
Um, because that can also give you some hints about who to look at to work with too, to at least get started. And, um, and do you find that once, <clears throat> excuse me, once you start looking, it's like anything, isn't it? You start looking and they start appearing from all over the place. <laughs> like you said, it's like, oh, there were the cards and there was a red candle. And then you started, did a bit of research, like, oh, it's his feast day. And it's just like, it just, it's all it's almost like you open a new portal, isn't it? A new world and suddenly you're let in and you start noticing all of those things around you. Because like I said about yeah. Caridwin, she came in and then like every book I was reading, she would suddenly be in there. And I'm like, what are you doing in this book? It's nothing to do with gods and goddesses, you know, and she'd be there yeah. or someone sent me a birthday present that was like a month late. And it was called, it was, a, I don't know if you have the company Lush and they're like make body baths, uh, uh, oh, yeah, bath yeah, bombs yeah. and stuff. And it was just, they sent me a Caridwin bath bomb. And it was just like, you know, she was coming in from all of these obscure places. And I'm like, okay, I hear you. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like you once you start even being aware, they're like, oh, they're listening. <laughs> Quick, <laughs> communicate, communicate. Yeah. They're very, very active, I find. Mm. Um, my grandfather was named Anthony also. So St. Anthony is the biggie. St. Anthony of Padua, who's also the patron saint of Italy. All Italians love St. Anthony. Um, so I work a lot with St. Anthony. Yeah. Um, but then... Uh, one group of entities that I work with a lot um, are the the three magi from the Bible. The three oh, okay. Kings. And how did that come uh, about? How do they present uh, to you? Weirdly. Uh, so <laughs> it, it all... your face right now is just like, mm, where do I start, Rebecca? <laughs> oh, okay. Still beautiful face, by the way. But yeah, oh, it was a bit like, you. whoa, <laughs> uh, great question. <laughs> so where does that story so... begin? <laughs> It starts with my mother and grandmother uh, on Epiphany, on, on Epiphany, and I walk into my mom's house, and she's on a footstool pasting something over the front door, and I'm like, what the hell? Can I say that? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. It's like, what are we doing this time? <laughs> what is going on? Why is this? Oh, we're doing the, the, the Three Kings. I'm like, the Three Kings what now? The Three mm. Kings Blessing. And I'm like, oh, okay. So let's find out about what this is. And there's a blessing that you can write and paste over your front door to keep your house safe throughout the year. It's mm. in the book. Um, the details are in the book. But that made me really start to think and be aware of the Three Kings. And then I found out that there's this stuff called Three Kings Salt almost immediately after. That is salt you can only make on the Epiphany. And it's super powerful blessing and protective salt. And it's so much fun to make. Um, and it and it gives it. So I don't, you've probably recognized before how restriction and limitation can lend power to something. If you can only do it one time a year. Focus. It, yes. Yes. <laughs> it really fuels the strength. And this mm. makes it incredibly powerful protective salt that both banishes and blesses at the same time. It's crazy crazy how it feels and how it works so of course I made some a small batch and this started to be a thing that I did every year every year on epiphany I'd have friends over we'd make huge batches of three king salt split it up and take it home give it away to people um and so they over the time they have just become more and more significant to me Mm. and Telling my daughter like the story of you know Jesus's birth because you know we're at my family's house at Christmas time and I get up to the part with the three magi and I'm like kids they're actually magicians from Persia they're my favorites <laughs> and it became this thing between she and I that these were the the coolest three magicians in the Bible were the yeah, three yeah. kids so 
I have some beautiful statues of them that stay on my altar year round um, because they were astrologers and magicians and they came seeking, which I just love all of those ideas. Yeah. Do you work with, actually, another question. Does Have you ever had a saint, a deity, an entity try and work with you and you're like, no, buzz off. <laughs> I don't want yes. to work with you. <laughs> Yeah, and, and people um, listening, it's okay to say no to these people too. <laughs> All these and, and I have and and no, mm. no negative repercussions. And and it's um these these entities, uh this will sound mysterious, but these entities have to remain nameless, unfortunately. No, but no, I, please, absolutely. Yeah. I had to present themselves to me and it was a literal and distinct choice, A or B, mm. which one of us. And if you choose A. B is not going to happen. And if you choose B, A is not going to happen. And I chose, you know, what I thought would be the best for me. But it was the very first time that I was presented with this idea of not only do I have to make a choice between two, but um, it's going to shut a door and I have to choose to shut that door. You know, I can't have both and it has to be one or the other. And so there's there's great power in that, though, isn't there, to like have that focus and intent to do that one thing rather than trying to maybe do too poorly just do the one yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. no I um again in my flippantness often joke that I have dead people trying to talk to me and I'm like no 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 not happening stand outside my office door and when I'm prepared to talk to dead people maybe when I'm about you know 90 (laughs) um then we'll have a conversation. So I'm quite happy to say no. <laughs> it's like I have this thing that I say to all my clients. It's like just because you can doesn't mean you have to. So it's like we have choice <laughs> in everything we yes. do. So yeah, I think too. I mean, and and I'm talking about when I was involved in the magical scene in my hometown growing up. When I finally got involved, there was a lot of cachet and a lot of. Uh, fun drama around oh I just can't stop these impressions from coming and they're so overwhelming and I always used to roll my eyes and go will you please like retain some of your your volition and strength because like get get with the program (laughs) we're high-fiving right now for for people that are listening Um, it's like yes we do have a choice on anything we do and you know when I was younger, all those decades ago, it was really exciting to suddenly step into the world of energy. But but I was very, very fortunate that I had very good teachers that were like, you stop that lady, you get to decide, you still have boundaries in the energy world. <laughs> and it was like, oh, thank goodness. So yeah. And, you know, a few decades later, people are very much aware of words like empath. And I was like, oh, I don't really associate with an empath except that I can feel everything. I see things, I smell things, you know, it's like, oh, I have all of the clairs and they're very highly tuned, but I don't consider myself an empath because I don't absorb it all, you know? And, and I think mm. that's because, you know, you talk about the evil eye and like the protection of like your family got with that very strong energy of protection. When I first started on my own path, I started studying an energetic protocol. And the first thing we were taught was all about protection. And so I'm very, very grateful for that because I think it's given me a very clear grounding in not, you know, I don't, I I can tell things no. I can stop the visions. I can be Mm. like, 
you can talk to me when I'm in this state or in this room or when it's this degree in Virgo, you know, and it's like, I get to make those rules. And I think that's, that's really important, isn't it? I think, yes, I agree. I, I am, I feel it oddly because I did not enjoy it growing up. I grew up on a house that was haunted and it was not Mm. the most pleasant of hauntings. And I think that is why I grew up with the capability to just shut down and block out and prevent things from impinging upon my consciousness because mm. I grew up for the first 11 years of my life in a place like that. And it wasn't the best experience at the time, but I think I've come out of it with a really useful tool, which yeah. is that ability to go, you know what? No, no, not dealing yeah, with you. That's and really interesting. That's so interesting. You said that. Cause I go back to like the house I grew up in and it was a, 13th century house that was two fishing cottages that had been knocked into one and it had a ship's mast in the middle of the house and it had a wooden staircase now this is all relevant it had a wooden staircase in it because I grew up in a Cornish fishing town so it's so interesting that the house was named after an island in Hong Kong but when we were kids, nobody knew what the house was. I was like, oh, what? this is a bit of a strange name. But of course, now with the internet, it's like, oh, that's where the house was named. But anyway, <laughs> so I remember like laying in bed when I was like, I don't know, like nine or 10. And I really wanted to see a ghost. I really wanted to see an energy. And then I'd close my eyes because I'd be too terrified. And I'd sleep with the light on, the whole light on. So I, didn't, I wanted to see, but I didn't want to see at the same time. But I can remember hearing things like, shoes banging down the stairs because it's wooden staircase so oh. hit, my mom would keep her shoes at the top of the stairs and they'd hear them bang down like one level of stairs and I'll be like oh we better go move those shoes because I don't want my mom tripping over them when she comes home from work and I'd go and of course there'd be no shoes there and oh, the house was goodness. always creaking and my mom would be like oh it's just an old house she goes it's just releasing energy and then years later after like we'd moved house and we'd all left home and she was like do you know she goes quite often she goes I'd lay in bed and she goes I'd feel something tugging the covers off me and she'd have to hold on to them so yeah I know and I was like oh so you're you're sharing about like you had to have the clear boundaries it's like yeah I wonder what I was like really seeing (laughs) and going I'll sleep with the light on I think and have that like this is my room thank you very much I want to see you but no. So, yeah, we, we, probably a lot of us have those kind of stories, don't we? We're like, And you can just dismiss them as like, oh, the house was just creaking. And you know, maybe I imagined a shoe falling down the stairs that wasn't there. <laughs> and they say that happened on more than one occasion. So, yeah, <laughs> I love it. So what would you say is your... I don't most important part of your practice you've spoken about the ancestors a lot you've you've like touched around like divination I know that's an important part of your kind of like practice what would and I know that they all have a place but maybe a better question would be what's the most important to you right now where you are in your life Mm, that is so hard because uh, there's two kind of right up at the top. Oh, we'll go for um, both. <laughs> so both and. Yeah. The first, of course, is um, the ancestors, my mm. ancestors, working with them and their energy because writing this book, writing Burn a Black Candle, going over all this information, getting this very deep connection with my in life, very skeptical, very cut and dried father. <laughs> And, and, and but through an ancestral link has had a huge profound impact on me. And so 
working with the ancestors, nurturing them, nurturing my connection with them, all of that. And then last year, around October of last year, I came out with my own Lane Ormond deck that I designed and created. And so working with that as a divination tool has consumed me for the past year. Tell Um, us about that. Okay. Um, It's called the Emblemata Lane Ormond. And it is um, a classic Lane Ormond deck, 36 cards with the Petit Lane Ormond. And it is the artwork is all from 15th century emblem books the engravings from fifth uh withers emblems is the name of the book that i actually what use are the they? Art from. what are withers emblems emblem books are the first evid the first use of multimedia we ever had so they are were you very, saying very emblem emblem like yeah, yeah. um a design but yeah yeah so um they were books that were very popular and they started the first one was in the created in the 1400s in Italy, but 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, there are these lovely books that would have uh, a design or image on the page. It would have maybe a poem, maybe some prose, maybe a Latin motto, a rhyming couplet, all kinds of different things on the page. And the reader was to piece together all of these things to come up with a moral story, mm. a concept, a realization. Uh, sometimes they had sheet music. You could play the sheet music. and That's so, how I use divination today. <laughs> well, what's really interesting is that Weather's Emblems came out, and it came out with in its day in the 1600s with a spinner and a lottery in the back. So you could spin the spinner. It would point to an emblem. You'd go read about the emblem, but you could also read a di- divination thing in the back. So I am obsessed with emblem books. And I thought, if I could have any kind of design on an Lenormand deck, what would I want? And so I started building this deck out of images from emblems uh, and emblem books. And I picked my favorite emblem book. And um, yeah, so I've been working with that for the past year. And And that is available to purchase on my Etsy store Mm. right now. We'll We'll put a link to that in the show notes for anyone that even just wants to go and have a look at the design but i'm sure they'll fancy a copy themselves too (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i'm doing that piece independently Mm. um because it was just i kept telling people i'm like all i want is i just want to be able to hold a copy of this in my hands and use it myself yeah and it took three years and it took lots of effort to get it printed and i'm like okay maybe with that amount of effort maybe other people might want to use it too so that's yeah. kind of why it's out there in the world instead of just kind of sitting. I in think that's the best place to create from. Everything that I have ever created, and I'm a little bit prolific at creating things, mm-hmm. has been because I want it. I think I've published like five different card decks. I just do small runs of them. No, but it's because I want them. <laughs> it's like, oh, what do I need? What am I working on right now? And I've got like ones that were specifically for money and some that were specifically for energetic health. And, you know, oh, wow. and it's just like, I just, you can't get hold of them anymore. I've still got them though, because I made them for me. <laughs> it's <laughs> like the journals I've published. It's like, oh, what do I, what am I working on right now? It's like, oh yeah, this is what I want. I can't find it anywhere else. So I'll make mm-hmm. it myself. And then I do what you do. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe someone else wants it. And they sell out and I'm like, mm. And then I have people years later going, this deck here, I want this one. I'm like, oh, maybe. It's not around anymore. Maybe. 
<laughs> maybe at some point I'll redo them. Oh, I'm excited to look at that. Because again, that's okay. just, it's so perfectly weaves together like your heritage, that ancestors, the div- divination and the fact, I mean, obviously we know that divination comes from way, way, way back then, but it's just like evidence of people have always been connected and wanted answers. It's like, we think we're like, you know, special because we're alive at this this year now in this century <laughs> and it's like we're just still the same as we were from like 1600 years ago you know sorry from the 1600s and it's just like we still want answers to things that don't make sense because that's the nature of people isn't it yeah the human condition you always mm. want to know what's coming and we you are storytellers yeah. forewarned is prepared in a lot of cases so yeah that's an interesting point, actually. How do you use divination? Ah, uh, yes. The, the age-old question. Mm. <laughs> the way you said that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. How do you use it? How do you use divination? And what was it about the emblem cards that you were like, okay, these are those are the cards that I want? Obviously, you like the that particular style of deck, but yeah, so it started out, you know, when I was 11, it was tarot cards. I didn't find my first Lenormand deck till I was 16. Mm. And then it was kind of like, huh, the only 36th cards. Who cares about that? I've got my beautiful 78 yeah, yeah, yeah. tarot deck. Um, but as I got older, some of the methodologies of reading Lenormand became really fascinating to me and started to, I'm like, from like, at first I'm like, oh, I'll learn this so it can inform my tarot reading, make my tarot reading Mm -hmm. better. And then it became more and more interesting to me, but I never could find a deck that I particularly cared for the art. The art just didn't do it for me. So I thought, what can I do? And I was like, well, I'll make my own. And I like old art i like highly symbolic art and Mm. so once i found emblem books i'm like oh this is what i can you know create my deck from and it has been very hard i don't know if you've experienced this because you've made multiple decks i've only made the one um it's very hard to go and pick up any other deck at this point because i have this deck that is perfectly attuned to me symbolically aesthetically everything and so it has become like the center of my divination practice well i I probably have like 50 decks of cards that's probably being kind to myself it's probably quite a bit more than that and i have only ever used two decks of cards and one of those is one i've made one of them is one that i don't that i haven't but i'm obsessed by charm casting i'm casting charms the whole time little trinkets and it's just like i just yeah obsessed i end up writing a book about it because it's like it's my go-to thing because i don't want to i don't want like the message from the card i want the message from my subconscious in that moment (laughs) (laughs) i will show you no one can see but there's a oh yes i'm in good company there back here yeah it's ridiculous that's that's quite that's you know a stacked very high table (laughs) of cards for people listening i'm like oh yes having a little peek over there (laughs) Uh, and my little divination altar that's on top of it yeah but um no i the charm casting is something that fascinates me but i have never done i've never practiced if you have a book on it i'm probably gonna have to check that out um because i don't I have not delved into that yet. Because you're so, not supposed to just yet. Because anyway. It seems very gooey, gooey. Okay, slowly. so I'm asking you how you use your divination. Yes. 
And I suspect Sorry. that no, no, the reason I'm saying that is because I suspect I use my divination quite differently, which is why mm. I'm so obsessed by the charm. So tell me, how is it you would define your divination practice? So um, first of all, I use divination to see potentials and likelihoods mm. that are coming. I don't believe the future is fixed. If I thought the future was fixed, I wouldn't be using divination because I don't yeah. see the point. If I thought the future was fixed, why am I a magician? Why am I a witch? Why do I do magic? You know, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, it, it can't become, create change because it's already set yeah. in stone. It's like, oh, you know, redundant it, already. Yeah. It seems very fatalistic to me and I'm not big on fatalism. So, yeah. um, you know, I do think that the future is fluid and that we can affect change in the future. Um, so my divination practice um basically centers around how do I say you know I do a weekly a weekly reading like mm. hey what do I really need to know this week what's coming up you know yeah. what do, do I need to work towards something that's coming do I, should I work uh, towards avoiding it <laughs> like what, what's happening um and then in the few times and as I've gotten older it has become uh, less and less, and it's required a more and more significant situation where I actually go to the cards and say, I need to find out about this specific topic. Mm. So I more use the cards as a guidepost for what's kind of coming in the immediate future week or two. And don't, you know, and then if it tells me some big deal is going to happen, of course, I'm going to go and look into it in more detail. <laughs> oh, tell me um, more. <laughs> Yeah, yes. it's not slinging a few words. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's some um, magic and sigil making that I do with mm. Lenormand cards, for example. Um, so sometimes I incorporate it in my magical practices, too. Um, but it has become a conduit of information, but not something that I am constantly going back to over and over yeah. again. It's something that gives me the lightest touch of direction and kind of moves me down my path. But um, nice. as I have gotten older, it it has uh, like the, the crisis readings have gone away. <laughs> <laughs> I love that term crisis readings. Yeah. So when so, I'm like using divination and like the charms, it's like, I think my mine's more like a therapy session for me sometimes, I think, you know, and it's like, for me, I'm like filling in the gaps. It's like, this mm. is what I'm working mm -hmm. on. And I, I, I've created like charm casting mats where you cast onto a mat and it's kind of more like an oracle spread then. So when mm -hmm. where they land gives you a bit more insight into what that particular thing, thing means. And it's like, sometimes it's like I do that and I'm, when I can't see something quite clearly. So it'll be like, oh, I hadn't thought of that yet. You know, and like I'll get more information about, oh, that's the piece that I was missing. I'm not asking for the missing piece. I'm like, this is what's going on. Give me some more insight. Mm -hmm. So like, like I say, it's not crisis reading. And But sometimes I'll just be in the garden. I'll be like, oh, should I still remember this one day. And I was like, what should I do with this, this particular project? And I looked at the tree and it was spring. And I just saw this hole in the tree. And I was like, oh, I have to let it go. <laughs> I didn't see the lush growth or the new buds. It was just a hole. And I was like, oh, that's going then. Thank you for thank you for that. Obvious. So yeah, my my I guess my charms is like that's a focus thing, but really it's like for me the whole world is divination. So whether I'm, you know, seeing a ripple on a pond or having a hair across my path, um, as in like a 
big rabbit thing, not a hair on my head. Um, <laughs> I had a fox do that once and I was like, oh, thanks for the message. And it's like, if I see something significant, I was like, oh, what was I just thinking? You know, it was like, oh, what was I just focusing mm-hmm. on that that has just come in my path? So it's like the charm casting has made like, all, well, or rather all of my life has always been like symbolic. Like, like you said, it's like you can live as if the whole world is magic or as if none of it is magic. And I choose, I think it's more fun to live when the whole world is magic. Um, and so, yeah, the charms kind of like focus that for me. But I, I tend not to be like, oh, what's oh. coming up next week? It's kind of like, oh, this is something that's going on right now. Give me some insight into it. So A yeah. picture, a snapshot of your current mm-hmm. situation. Like, yeah. 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 That, um, that type of interpreting those personal symbols that you see um i'm a big huge fan of because Mm. i think that you know we start with divination when we begin with whatever method we start with you know rote learning of meanings of cards for example which i think is significant and important i think you can read intuitively but i think we also need a foundation in traditional symbolism when we do stuff like that so, you know, you learn these rote meanings, but then the best part of reading over time is that those meanings start to transform and change with your yeah. experience and you build up your own personal symbolism and com- associations with a particular card until the point yeah. where the card starts to change its meaning. Like yes. the example I use for people is the three of swords for me. The three of swords means sorrow. Well, my full name is Dolores, which means sorrow. and so. Anytime I see that card in a reading that I'm doing for myself, it is not the traditional meaning. Yeah. It is a ding, ding, ding. Hey, pay attention. Yeah, like I had, it's calling my name. Quite literally calling your name. I heard a lady called Molly Rima call it a cosmic wink. And it's like every deck has a cosmic wink card. And I have a card that, that's that. And it's like, it's not the traditional meaning. And I think that goes back to like how we started this podcast today when I was like, what? You know, do you think your magic is powerful because you've done, like, air quotes, the work of studying it all and now you've made it your own? Do you think it's because of the history of it? And I think it's the same with cards, particularly the tarot. The tarot has such a rich history of where it's come from that there is great significance and power that comes with that because there have been however many millions of people been adding that energy to each of the cards, to the readings. Oracle cards are a little bit different, obviously, because they're very unique to the person that's created them. But one again, one of the reasons I love the charm casting, I, I mean, you have to have some kind of grounding in any kind of symbolism. But it's like if someone pulled the, the example I use is a bee. Now, for some people, the bee might mean sweet like honey. Some people it might mean, oh, my goodness, that's about community and hive mind. and I need to get help. For some people, there might be a complete warning because they have anaphylactic shock. Mm. Now you're not going to read that in a guidebook of an oracle card. It's going to be like, oh, this is the this is usually the very happy reason for that card. But actually, I think when we're working with what was the language you used, personal symbolism, mm-hmm. um, it's when you use the charms because they don't come with a guidebook. I think that's their power because it's like that B means what it means what to it you means. and actually on a different day it might mean slightly if you've just been stung that morning you might be pretty annoyed about it but a couple of weeks later when you've forgotten and you're like oh the bees let me let me plant some lavender um so <laughs> i can feed the bees when that comes up a couple of weeks later it might mean something completely different again and it just gives people the flexibility but it's also a little bit scary 
I think for some people, because it's so open, it's like sometimes we want the structure to start well, with. I, I think mm. too, for people, particularly with that charm reading method, it requires a high level of being honest with yourself yes. and no not, <laughs> you know, the old bugaboo for reading for yourself and reading, you know, reading what you only w- want to read. And, or my um, favorite. Oh, I think I'll just reshuffle that card. <laughs> oh, or I'll pull another. Let me pull, Let me just more pull cards a different card. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I quite liked that one. <laughs> I don't think the card's meant to say that to me. Let me try again. <laughs> they obviously stuttered. They did not mean it. Um, but yeah, yeah I think that that personal personal symbolism can do a great deal for you. But then you've got to be you've got to commit yourself to that honesty when it, when it comes to how you deal with the interpretation. And sometimes I think that's why it's good to go to another person when you're highly emotional about something, because always they will, you know, have a more objective viewpoint and they'll tell you things you didn't think, you know, you don't want to turn your reading into an echo chamber. And sometimes you can Mm. separate yourself from the issue. And then other times, at least for me, I cannot, and I need to go hit up. Oh my God. Absolutely. I've got, I read for myself all the time. I say yeah. laughing. It's like, of course I can't, you know, <laughs> it's like, I will tell myself, I think I'm pretty good at being impartial about myself. And then I fall on my face and I'm like, oh, yeah. you saw this coming and you did nothing. You, <laughs> you know, and it's like, ah, oh, definitely go and see somebody else who is not emotionally attached to me. <laughs> Yes. Oh, perfect. So I don't know if I think we went off track to that. I'm obsessed by divination. It's like one of my favorite things. But what is like a go-to like spell or you know, magic or ritual for you to that you find yourself using time and time again, apart from obviously the black candle? Well, I will say I do. I'm, I'm very, very partial to sigil magic, mm. which doesn't, which can be very practical because all it takes is writing, creating a design, and imbuing it with whatever meaning you would like it to have. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't often doesn't 100% completely fall into the realm of folk magic. But it's so easy to pick up a pen or a pencil and start sketching out ideas and and getting a nice little tidy sigil to use for something so i do use how do you create your sigils do you use like a traditional lines of letters and you would take out all the vowels and you take out all the double words and use the lines that are left or i know there's some sigils where each letter is associated a particular symbol or do you just create your own pattern from how you feel it wants to be created so my three favorite methods, one is the line, the letters, block mm-hmm. letters, and then you take out duplicate letters and you take yeah. out vowels and whatever you're left with and you construct some weird little cool yeah. shape. Um, but another method that I absolutely love, and it's probably hard to describe um, verbally, but is the rose cross method that was used in the Golden Dawn where you have the rose cross and there's the big flower in the center with all the Hebrew letters in mm-hmm. a particular order. And you think of a word that you want and you draw from letter to letter to create a shape to spell out that word and you get a very cool design to to do that and you can find um the rose cross and the with the with the letters um online and you can find them in hebrew and you can find them in english so if you don't want to mess with translating hebrew letters you can Mm. just use the english version um but you know if you were looking for a new house you could like spell out house and it would make this cool little 
design and then you could just use that it makes it makes for very simple easy to visualize signals because i like yeah. to keep them in my mind while i'm doing whatever energy raising that i'm mm. doing i know so that like i've that. In, in our in our community we've put sigils on our shoes before so that we're activating the magic as we walk oh, i know nice. that some people put them like stir them into their tea or their food if it's about health or they draw it on the steam in their shower i think sigils mm -hmm. is such a fun thing to work with aren't they it's just like adding to that magic the whole time they're so portable i just love mm. them like you can take them with you wherever you go you doodle them on a notebook you can yeah. carry them to on a pot into work with you um, eyeliner in the inside of your wrist is quite a yeah. fun place <laughs> like draw yeah. on yourself with your eyeliner <laughs> practical but, um, magic we love it it's uh i'm trying to think um a lot of the other things that i like to do involve salt and i know you like salt um mm. so salt is a my first uh first to grab for anything that's what's your favorite salt to work with three king salt the salt that you've made yourself mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i know that's made on a particular day but what what salt is used in that like any salt or is it like a rock salt or a sea salt or a table salt or? you can use any salt i usually use um sea salt mm -hmm. or a rock salt either one um and what it is is all of, you pray the uh roman catholic prayer over salt there's a prayer to bless salt in order mm -hmm. to make holy water you bless the salt first to make the holy water yeah. so you pray that over the salt on three kings day on epiphany basically um, but a friend of mine and I have elaborated on this and we actually put gold flake, frankincense and myrrh nice. into the resins into it. So it yeah. smells really good. Or we, one year we used oils yeah. and it has the most amazing smell. It's got a little sparkle to it because the gold leaf's in there <laughs> and it just, yeah, yeah. it's such a fun thing to use. And, and um, I, I talk about it in the book, but my daughter, when she was little, called it sprinkle woo it was sprinkled that, and that, i hope that stayed oh yes that's that, that fantastic my partner will look at me very seriously he'll be like something's wrong i, I need where is the sprinkle boo <laughs> and you're like <laughs> yes darling it's over here um <laughs> how do you feel about people outside of the catholic faith using a catholic prayer to breath to bless the salt i feel 100 percent okay with that our our religions and our spiritual practices have mixed and mingled over the years so many times and particularly catholicism particularly catholicism, in europe it was yes. an omnivore that absorbed yeah. so many different practices and so many different um cultural ideas and beliefs mm -hmm. that sometimes you can even parse it and pull it out of separate the two Catholicism or whatever that it consumed. Um, and so particularly with Catholicism, I am perfectly fine with people going forth and taking what works from it. Yeah. And leaving the rest behind. Yeah. I think that's life really, isn't it? <laughs> it's like not in a disrespectful way, but there are some things that we will find naturally we feel more aligned with. And some people won't be, and that's okay because it's about finding our own path rather than just taking what we want and then dismissing it. And I think a lot of, uh, for me, a lot of particularly spellcraft is about creating relationship, relationship mm -hmm. with our tools, with ourselves, with the the energies that we work with. So it's yeah, so it's not like oh, I'll just use a Catholic prayer just to bless the salt. It's like 
for me, it would be like having a relationship with the salt and even the gold leaf and the the resins that you're putting in yes. and the the deity or the kings and the you know that you're having that connection with and having reverence for the the prayer and the lineage that that comes from. Knowing yes. that I don't come from a Catholic religion, I come from a Christian, uh, like a Church of England mm. um, background, but they're quite similar. Our Lord's prayer yeah. is a little yeah. a little bit different. But I wouldn't consider myself a practicing Christian either. But um, you know, but that is my heritage. So, what I think is fascinating too is that you can take the structure. If you're not comfortable with the Three Kings, if you're not mm. comfortable with the Catholic prayer, you can take that structure and go, okay, what day is significant to me? What deity is significant to me? What prayer can I use, or what other spell work can I use to consecrate the salt to my liking? And it will be just as powerful because, again, you're limiting yourself just like you limit yourself with the three king salt. But you have taken it and created something that works for you on all levels. Yeah. And again, when you're working with a magical tool, it has to work with you on all levels. If you're fighting against some portion of it, it's going to make it harder to accomplish your magical goals. Yeah, so. sabotage already in it. But it's like, and then you can make that part of your own tradition and you can pass that down. So every year when you create that as a family and then you're, if you have children or godchildren or nieces and nephews or whoever you want to pass that down to, it's like they carry on doing it and they carry on and each time they do it, they add a little bit more magic. Whereas when yeah. you're using the three kings energy, that has been going on for a few thousand years. And, you know, it's like every time someone has done that or connected with the Magi, it's like they're adding to the energy that you're adding to your soul. So I think there is great, great magic in using that tradition if it feels relevant, appropriate yeah. and, and reverent to you. But if it doesn't, it doesn't stop you creating your own and it will still have great magic because I, I think what you're saying as well is like, if you're creating magic that has that like 2000 years worth of history and power, but it doesn't resonate to you, well, it's not going to work. You're better it off creating be, something yeah. brand new, so to speak, um, but totally, totally aligned. And that will have much more magic because it's actually aligned with you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. A thousand percent agree. I mean, what, uh, when someone steps into whatever mental space that you want to call it when when someone's preparing to do magical work you're removing yourself from the waking world in order to further empower yourself to accomplish your goals and in that world you create you are the sole ruler of it and you have to have everything just as you like it and it can be mm. as simple as just grabbing a black handle um, or it can be very complex but whatever you do it has to align with you um, or, or otherwise you're just struggling uphill for no reason yeah. when you could be, you know, the tools are supposed to be there to advance your feeling of mastery and sense of control over the situation, not to make you go, mm, I don't know if I'm really comfortable with that or not, Yeah, you know, um, you and I think, that energy. Mm. yeah. And I think when people start out, they feel as though they need this, this, and this, you know, I need this candle and I need blue, but oh my God, that blue reminds me of the dress my math teacher used to wear. And I hate that color yeah. blue. Well, then don't use that color blue. Use some other color blue or some <laughs> other color. Because I think that is the thing, isn't it? It's like magic from the dawn of time has been a source of bringing power to someone's life. When in the world where we feel there is no power, you know, whether it's now or 
you know, thousands of years ago, it was like, oh, but we can do this. We can control this part of our life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so we're almost going against magic when we compromise or use something that's not quite right. It's like I tell people, it's like, you don't have that crystal, but you want to use it print out a picture of it write write its name on a piece of paper you know if you're working with bear energy i don't expect you to welcome a grizzly bear into your house it's like we don't have to have the thing with us it's like we can there is the i always think there's always a way that we can work with what it is that we need whether we have the thing the exact thing or not and then i feel a bit bad about that because i do have all the things and i look around my office and i'm like oh, how many cauldrons do i have and how many color candles but equally if I'm out and about and I have no access to that, it doesn't stop me doing what I need to do either. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So do you have any final words or anything you wanted to share with people? Obviously, we want to know, tell us the book. It is available on the 13th of September. It's yes. a fabulous book with loads and loads of practical tips. Just, just love it. It's like, oh, what should I try first? Oh, I want to try this and I want to try this. In fact, I wonder if I can quickly find it now. If I flicked to it, I was like, oh, that's the one I really wanted to try. No, I should have should have done it. Ah. No, I can't find it. Um, but there's, there's I was like desperately flicking things. I should have put a mark on it. There's loads of really great things to find. And obviously what I'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes and to your Etsy shop too where yes. you have your your cards and what else do you have in your Etsy shop? Not a lot. Oh. I have my cards and I have three um, stickers that are magical oh. designs that I made at the right time astrologically and all of that. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, if I, I've got one that's anti-evil eye, of course. Of course. I've got one that is um, welcoming in prosperity and abundance. Mm-hmm. And I've got one that is um, discovering or uncovering secrets or information or knowledge um, for you div- diviners out there that um, I like to keep one stuck on my bag of my divination tools. Oh, so. I like that. Very so. excellent. Is there anything anywhere else we can find you or anything else um, you ha- that you have in the works right now you you can find me um at black candle cottage on etsy uh, etsy instagram, instagram. hanging Link out in the show notes <laughs> um i'm also uh www.blackcandlecottage.com is my website um Link in the show notes <laughs> what i'm doing and i will be having a chapter uh, coming out eventually in a book about North American folk magic, um, writing the chapter on Italian American magic. Um, but that is in the formative stages of, and so I don't know how much I can reveal about that, but I'm very excited. Well, you can always come back and reveal more when their time is yes, right. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I am really, really, um, I've had some ideas about the next book yeah there's always the next book and i'm trying to decide between writing a book about the evil eye or a book about saint expedite but i haven't made up my mind sorry what was the first one you said the evil eye oh sorry the evil eye Mm. that's a tough choice it's a hard decision because i love they'll both come out but like which one first <laughs> you'll probably get halfway through one and then the other one will start going nope it's my turn now oh i know like, oh. <laughs> yeah say. sorry not putting it out to the universe sorry sorry <laughs> so is there anything else you wanted to share 
um, about um, the book or the audience or any of your like if you could give the audience one thing to go away and try oh what would it be I would say this um grab some salt and um, wherever you keep your shoes, first of all, you shouldn't be wearing your shoes into the house because they walk through all kinds of things while you're out and about. Um, not only physical dirt, but like spiritual icky stuff and everything. So take your shoes off at the door. And if you can put a tray near your door with a little bit of salt sprinkled on it to absorb that negativity that you might track in. And then you just throw that away once a week when your garbage goes out so that it goes all the way outside of your house and refresh that salt every week when you throw out the old salt. I love that. I just had like this image of like a kitten, uh, lit- uh, what do you call it? A kitty litter little tray. <laughs> like looking like that, like a little tray next to all your shoes in instead of the cat. <laughs> and if you have cats, be careful because the cats yes. might get confused. Um, <laughs> just a little yeah, I, I yeah. use a very like shallow tray that's, you know, big enough for the family shoes mm-hmm. and the shoes go in there and the salt goes and it just kind of helps keep the house calm and at peace. And probably neutralizes any nasty niffs too. (laughs) (laughs) Extra practical. (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. So again, everyone listening, Burn a Black Candle, an Italian-American grimoire by D. Norman. It's fantastic. And like I say, I love it just because it's so practical. I am all for the practical magic. And like I say, it probably helps. I read through it nodding away. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, that's what I think too. Um, (laughs) So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. Yay, I'm so welcome. You're so welcome. (laughs) 